We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. everyone and welcome to another episode of Archeo Animals, the podcast all about video games and sometimes the archaeology of animal remains. For this episode, with you as always, is myself, Simona Falanga, and and me, Alex Fitzpatrick. Welcome yeah. to our video game show. Actually, <laughs> for this episode, we have a very special guest called Sandy, the full name being Sandy, Sandy, Sandy. For those who don't know of her, she's my doggo. <laughs> She's right here. She's more of a, of a quiet participant. She's not quite as loud as Bastet. She's a bit shy, but she'll, she'll give it her best. She's here in spirit, and that's fine. I feel it. <laughs> like she's sort of sprawling all over the, like, half on the bench and half on me, because that's what she does. Yeah, that's on brand, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, today we are <laughs> once again tackling video games on our video game podcast. You know, if in case you are for some reason like listening to this episode as like the first one of this podcast, we are actually a zoo archaeology podcast looking at the archaeology of animals. But because we are giant dorks, we tried our best to tie video games in wherever possible. And today is no exception. We've just concluded a five parter episode on the sort of zoo archaeology across time periods, mainly sort of Britain centric, but we've been going all the way from the early prehistoric period to the medieval period. But what best way to celebrate the achievement that is our first five parter <laughs> episode than indulging once again in video games? Yeah, we have to ground ourselves, basically. We got all very intellectual, very high and mighty with this five-part mini-series, and now we have to bring it back to Brass Tacks. We are talking video games, but more specifically, we are actually going to talk about video game cuisine, because there's lots of food in video games, if you haven't noticed. And doing the research for this, well, not really doing the research as much as writing down video games that had food in it, they factor in very specific ways. And as two archaeologists whose brains are irreverably broken by archaeology training, we, of course, classify them in different ways. So we'll be breaking that down this episode. It's just an excuse to talk about video games, let's be real. I think, to be fair, also video game, video game episodes, much like our case studies, if you've listened to some of our other shows, I think we've just decided <laughs> that these are our favourite episodes or part thereof. We've not actually looked at any statistics whatsoever. We've just decided. Based on vibes. It's your, it's your fan favourite, whether you like it or not. But that's fine, I think. Who doesn't like video games? We're all nerds here. It's fine. Realistically speaking, the nice thing about video games very similar to archaeology, I feel like, is that it 
touches upon a lot of different things. And I think that's why it is so applicable to kind of just talking about it archaeologically speaking, and not just through the lenses of archaeology, but there's a whole field called archaeogaming. There are digital archaeologists who work in video games. You know, it's not something that we're just kind of making up. There is academic, rigorous kind of research being done here. So we're not just kind of, you know, goofing about. Uh, I mean, like, they're not making it up. We kind of are. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. Someone, shush, shush. I'm trying to give ourselves some gravitas, okay? I think, like, my arc, your gaming goes down to, like, playing a video game, seeing, like, a hole in the ground and just going, oh, that section isn't straight. That's arcuate gaming, baby. Just like how archaeology to me is digging a small hole. I point out the hole and I go, that's archaeology. And no one can tell me otherwise. I have a PhD now. Not wrong. Archaeology, baby. <laughs> it's historical archaeology. <laughs> anyway, let's get right into it, I guess. So kind of to preface this, we are, like I said, looking at video game food, video game cuisine. And because we are archaeologists, we are classifying them into three main categories, which we'll be looking at for this episode. So you have your dungeon food, your kind of make your own food, and something that I am calling with my creative brain, Dash, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. And we'll just be broadly looking at how video games kind of utilize these tropes of food and things like that. And because, you know, we do have to tie it back to archaeology at some point, we'll kind of be thinking about what will this look like as a zoo archaeological deposit? <laughs> yeah. So looking at the, the made up rubbish pits of uh, fictional media. So part one, we are going to look at what I think, I don't know about you, Simona, but when we were first talking about doing this episode, it's the first thing I thought of, which is dungeon food. And it's a very classic trope. I mean, it's basically what you see in kind of the earliest games, the earliest kind of arcade games. Basically the food items you pick up during levels that just are laying about as they do. And you consume immediately, maybe even in the middle of a fight scene. It was like, oh, you're really hurting me here, unspecified monster. Let me have this turkey leg to give my, <laughs> give me some energy. It's always like a turkey leg for the most part. It's a turkey leg. It's like a full roast turkey or it's like a hamburger or something. Have you ever considered this angle about your Kelsey Cave <laughs> side interpretation? Simona, you just blew my mind. Simona, I just submitted my final version of that thesis why would you bring this up now there you go because it took you like three years and look at me like seven minutes in bam solved <laughs> i guess i have to give you my phd now so the funny thing about this kind of trope is that it, it literally is its own trope uh thanks to the fine folks at tvtropes.com it's referred to as inexplicably preserved dungeon meat and as someone just pointed out that's basically what my phd was completely on except it was inexplicably preserved cave meat <laughs> yum yum <laughs> uh, you've just taken the wind out of me i might have to get, like take a take a 10 minute break <laughs> just think but i mean it's not just inexplicably preserved joints of meat you also get other items like fruit and and, and just various 
faceplates also unexplicably in dungeons. Yeah, it is funny because you do, like we were saying, you get the like joints of meat, you get like fruit, random like apples or things like that, or you get like a full course meal. There's no in between. It's one or the other, to be completely honest. Thinking of this in terms, well, it wouldn't be a rubbish pit. I guess you'll just be scattered remains on an occupational layer. So I'm, I'm picturing a dungeon sort of being cave-like or sort of, I guess, underground structure. If you, if you think, think of the deep roads. <laughs> I, 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 try, I try not to, to be completely honest. <laughs> Why can't you sleep, honey? Oh, I'm just thinking about the deep roads. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember if I have the mod installed where I'll let me skip the deep roads. That's for the Dragon Age fans out there. We'll get to you guys in a little bit. Don't worry. <laughs> But we were thinking about this. The first thing I thought of is, and I don't know if you've ever played it, it's called Gauntlet. It's a very classic arcade game. I loved Gauntlet as a kid. I still love Gauntlet. I played it two weeks ago at an arcade. And it's got a very famous line where if you're running out of health, the, the narrator goes like, player one needs food badly. So that's immediately what I thought of. And I, uh, assuming the, the episode title makes it past editing, that will be the title of this uh, episode as well. I also kind of feel attacked by that line, player one. <laughs> I always need to be badly. What are you talking about? Especially when we're about to record a podcast. Isn't that all right, Alex? I had dinner tonight. I have dinner now. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It's called growth, Tristan. <laughs> oh, this character arc of having dinner before a show so you're not, like, <laughs> hungry uh, during recording. That's that's great, To Alex. be fair, I did literally, like, finish dinner and then walk up to record. <laughs> so it's not like I'm, there's a big gap of time in between. You know what? It's it's growth. We we like this character arc. This is this is the net. This is the new development. Well done. Yes, we try. I, I'm an adult now. It's fine. Anyway, gauntlet. <laughs> Food items. That's what you pick up in gauntlet. You just kind of open up chests, or you uh you break stuff, and ooh look, it's a it's a full turkey. I will eat that. Uh, and I get health, and you know. You got some 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 kind of considerations to think there in terms of who's who's just blocking chests up with an entire course of food. But hey, it could be ritual. It's fine. Yeah, like the ritual of hunger. So you're just gonna break the chest so you can eat. This kind of trope is basically um, Gauntlet's not a side scrolling game per se, but any side scrolling beat 'em up type of game seems to have this trope of food, like Streets of Rage, those type of games. You break a couple of crates, all of a sudden you've got a burger and a like a soda, and your your health's fine. And the funny one that I want to specifically mention because I think it's interesting to think of archaeologically is. Have you played the Castlevania games at all, Simona? No. I haven't either, to be fair, but I, I've watched my partner play them a bit, and I know of them. So it's like a, a, a PC game. What was it originally? I'm asking disembodied voice Tristan if he knows offhand. It was like yeah, a, I think it was like a SNES, SNES or like right? SNES kind of game, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they've obviously... It's come back every so often, it's rebooted, and I think I, my my real experience with it is in the most recent Super Smash game, but is basically a spooky Dracula type game. And the funny thing about it is that it has this dungeon food trope, 
but <laughs> for some reason one of the ways you get food is you knock down walls and you find food just behind the walls is that not how you do it yeah i mean is that how you eat dinner every night yeah just like next thing i know i just live in a garden because there's no walls left I was going to ask when I came over that one time to have dinner that your walls were basically smashed to pieces. So that explains a lot now that I think about it. Yeah, that's how we fit the fireplace the first time round. It was actually all wall before and then it just to get that roast out, just, yeah, smashed the wall a bit, got a roast out of it. (laughs) But like the funny thing about the Castlevania games is I'm not entirely, I don't think it's a reference, but... There is a lot of references with regards to foundational deposits, something that I believe you enjoy as much as I do, mummified cats and walls. The idea of putting animal remains into walls is a very, not common, but folklore-ish type thing, especially around these parts. Yeah, just not something you'd uh, I'd immediately think of eating. True, I wouldn't eat a mummified cat, but I guess the idea of like putting meat like something some animal remains into walls for me again as a later prehistoric archaeologist it's something that you see a lot in scotland with foundational deposits i mean there are a lot of roundhouses they start taking apart for excavation and you just find loads of dead things dead animals dead people bits of people bits of animals heads I think it's the case further south as well. So like, especially the threshold of a roundhouse, you do tend to have anything from either like young animals, I believe lambs are found, unless I'm much mistaken. Also dogs, also babies. Well, that feels very much the case of that kind of liminality aspect. You find in a lot of, this is speaking kind of simplistically and broadly, but you find a lot of these kind of threshold deposits, especially where I work in Scotland, are juvenile animals, juvenile humans, because they're in that weird in-between of infant and adult. And there's there's a lot you can say about liminality, which is my favorite word next to ritual. Definitively, we do not know why these deposits took place in the later prehistoric period. I think there's all sorts of theories being put forward here and there about you know, almost like sometimes almost like as a lucky charm, if you will, or even though like thinking about it, if this uh, young living thing has passed way before time, like didn't have much in the way of luck, I'm not sure they're going to give you any either. But hey, we'll ultimately never know, but it's very interesting. Yeah. Or if they were specifically, if they were specifically sacrificed but as a threshold deposit, they're definitely not sending any luck your way. Unless it's a kind of proxy thing where it's they're being sacrificed, taking on that bad luck for you. The idea of proxies, I feel like, is especially coming from like Chinese culture, that kind of using items and things like that as proxies for other things is very popular and very ingrained in our culture. So... Okay. Could be something like that. But that's uh, the beauty of archaeology. As frustrating as it is, sometimes we will never know. Mostly most times we will never know, let's be real. (laughs) Well, especially if there's no written record about... Then after that, Pliny will tell you all about it. True, very true. And as we know, Pliny is 100% correct all the time. Never misses. And I have managed to mention the Romans. There you go, we did it. On a video game episode. We did it, folks. Mission accomplished. 
Well, I'd like to thank my friends <laughs> and my mother and all the people that have supported And as usual, if you're following along with your bingo card, that is Simona mentioning the Romans. We really need to sell these bingo cards. <laughs> I know. Email in. Email in. If you get a bingo card during an episode, I don't care if it's on a piece of a napkin or anything. I don't care. I want to see a bingo card. And you guys should know by this point what the piece of the bingo card are. It's like Simona's Romans. Every time, I don't know, what's that wee bone? The little toy car bone. The stragglers. Yeah. <laughs> that one gets mentioned. Alex doesn't at dinner. Uh, well, that's now, that's now a free square because she's now having dinner. So that's a free square. Uh, <laughs> fish, anti-fish propaganda. Yeah, anti-fish. Wow, this is great. So yeah, if anybody gets a bingo, send it in. Email. We'll give you um, a high five virtually. I don't know. Uh, okay. Well, what, what do we figure out what we're going to give people instead of uh, committing ourselves to high fives? And yeah, just tweet us, you know, at Archeonimals on Twitter and tell us if you filled out your bingo card. Yeah, that's probably a good time to take a break and consider <laughs> the financial implications of that. And we'll be right back. <laughs> Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code ANIMALS. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back with Archeo Animals, the video game podcast that is sometimes about archaeology but it's mostly about video games, including today, where we are talking about the archaeology, or well, zoo archaeology, technically, of video game food. So I think in this part of the episode, we'll be talking about the video game food that you will make yourself. So like in, you know, in a game when you find several ingredients and then you usually find a cauldron somewhere, we can add them all together and you get sort of specific buffs or health benefits from making the food. Yeah, if you play Breath of the Wild, you get that fun little, no, it's not even a song. It's like a, have you played Breath of the Wild? No. 
So they introduce, from what I understand, they introduce, because I have played it, but it's the only Legend of Zelda game I've ever played. They've introduced making your own food as part of, like you were just saying, making your own food to create buffs for not only your health, but power-ups, things like that. And when you when you, you go to a pot and you throw a bunch of stuff in and then it goes like... And Link doesn't do a little dance, but me personally, when I play the game, I do a little dance. Valid. I don't know why I brought this up, but I guess it was very important for me to tell the audience that I do a little dance when that plays. Put that in the bingo card. Alps does a dance. I'm pretty sure that you can cook your own food in The Witcher as well. Who does that? (laughs) I don't. Do you? This is someone who's more invested than... Me, I guess, probably would. I mean, the one thing I remember about The Witcher was the staggering amount of rotten meat that you'd find all the time. And I think as a Witcher, you could probably, I think, consume... No, could you consume it? You, well, as someone who's actually replaying the game on New Game Plus right now, so I'm level 70 and haven't even gotten through the first main quest in Velen, I don't know if you can eat it. You can use it to craft. Like, you can get it, dismantle it and make it into leather. For crafting, which is what I do, because to be completely honest, especially playing a new game plus, you have all the potions already, so there's no point in eating food when I can just drink a bunch of swallowtail. Yeah, no, so no, I think that no, the rotten meat you could sell for like one thing, whatever the currency is, but you do get an amount of meat, and of course you can go foraging, which does end up being three quarters of your gameplay just foraging. If you're a freak like me, you love doing it. <laughs> Same way with Dragon Age and Elf Fruit, which I think oh, gets commented duh. upon at one time that you just like go off into the fields picking Elf Fruit. There's a, a, a real sickness, and it's something that I have, and it's called Completionist. And boy, do I go and get every single piece of Elf Fruit and iron. I have to as well. I am compelled to do so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sickness. And you know what? It, this is a safe space to talk about how we have to do these things. So it's like, and I don't want to be cured. No, I'm happy with it. Do you know why? Because my like 100% of potions and upgrades is perfection. And you can't take that away from me. <laughs> In the Witcher, you do make your own food as well. So just thinking quickly, what well, again, you wouldn't really get rubbish pits in the Witcher because I'm presuming Geralt would just, you know, make his food and then just chuck it all over the floor. I mean, you don't see the, the discard portion of the, the eating. You tend to you just click a button and it goes. But what's interesting to think about is kind of the the reverse in that there are some, and we did talk about this in our episode where we did talk about the Witcher, but Geralt actually kind of does his own little bit of archaeology. I mean, it's close, probably closer to forensics more, but there are a couple quests where he will go and he'll be able to see like, ooh, someone, they camped here and things like that. And he's clearly looking at not only like burnt out, campfires but uh, witchers have an an amazing sense of smell so so many of the quests are him being like "Ooh, i can smell that they spilled wine and then you walk 30 feet the other way animal remains aside from the obvious sort of carcasses that you find around of with uh, sort of necrophages feasting on them and yada yada i guess mostly in the witcher we'll be talking about just food tossed back over in a in a campfire toss some food for your witcher yeah (laughs) I did it, folks. What I would picture archaeology-wise would be maybe let me get a, sh- a shallow pit. Oh, I'm really trying to keep this together. Oh, boy. <laughs> we can't spend that much time talking about the Witcher, Simona. Get it together. 
I was just talking about an actual, almost like parallel with the real life archaeological example what the of what the animal remains that Geralt consumes in The Witcher would be deposited under archaeological conditions. Okay, like shallow pit full of charcoal and animal bones. Okay, there you go. Yeah, and that's how Geralt would say it too. He would say shallow pit. <laughs> winds, winds howling, shallow pit. Animal bones. That's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really good girl, folks. And uh, I forget the guy's name, but I know he's on cameo. So let him know I'm coming for his job. <laughs> okay. I mean, uh, The Witcher also takes us into sort of a slightly different interpretation of the make your own food. Because <laughs> I guess some video games got so popular because they have such sort of rich and well-built universes that they've led into the publishing of cookbooks with actual recipes inspired by the foodstuff eaten in these video games. And The Witcher is not immune to that. I have found that there is a whole website, I'll put a link on the show notes, where it's got a whole series of recipes of dishes you find in the Witcher series. Yeah, I mean, I can't make fun of this, folks, because there's a lot of websites and books of this sort. But when I was in college, you know, 10 years ago now, which makes me want to cry, but I was on Tumblr as the youth were of the day. And there was a Tumblr ice fall that was literally just video game recipes so i used to make a lot of fallout based recipes so i get it ew no ew. okay 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 we not, like i'm not lad snacks and stuff like that no what, sunset like, I, I made a sunset sarsaparilla once it was really nice really yeah what, it was really what, good what's in a what's in a sunset sarsaparilla it was ginger beer and what i can't remember off the top of my head but i remember making it a couple times it was super nice I didn't understand that sarsaparilla was actually like a root or something. Like yeah, it's, like it's, it's nice. a root beer or something. I don't know. I have some Fallout 3 posters that I have. And one of them is the, you know, from New Vegas, the guy drinking the Sunset Spat sarsaparilla one. Yeah. Uh, I've got that as a poster. Also, happy 11th birthday, Fallout New Vegas. the One of the greatest games of all time. Shout out to New Vegas. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. 11th. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, they better ahead. I know. Oh. I remember when it was broken for my friend's PS3 and like the saves would just delete. Yeah, themselves. I remember when it's broken in 2021 and still <laughs> and still is. But I love it. I can't make fun of it. It's perfect broken game. Do you know, I actually lost all my save files except my most recent one, and I, I last played it in 2014. And then over the like the the pandemic, I decided to boot it up again in 2020, and I'm literally at the at the last bit. And I've literally got five minutes of gameplay left. And I, I'm just trying to play it like a thousand times differently. I should really go back because I've seen some really amazing plays. There's some great mods. Uh, but I've played through three through four during the pandemic. And Hot Take New Vegas is the best one. Yeah, I think Ooh. I can agree with you on this one. Three. Simona, get off the podcast. Three. <laughs> get off. Three. Boo! Who cares about green filters? Boo! <laughs> anyway, back to the topic <laughs> at hand, because it's not like we haven't got much to cover and all. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, we yes, we do need to let Simona talk about Dragon Age and Skyrim. <laughs> oh, I can leave you Skyrim if you like. 
No, it's fine. <laughs> go go for it. Oh, it's me going the off. The closest thing one. you'll get to Romans, you know? Well, because I guess I'm the one person that's sad enough to actually own the hard copy versions <laughs> of these cookbooks. <laughs> So that was the easiest research ever from exactly here on my bench in the kitchen. They're right behind me. I'm looking at them. Because, yes, sir, not only there's a website entirely dedicated to The Witcher, we also have recipe books. Well, Skyrim gets its own official cookbook. For Dragon Age, it's actually in the, um, the big compendium, so The World of Thaders, Volume 2, that also has a section on food and recipes. So I figured, well, let's take a look at the rubbish pits of Thedas and Skyrim, because why not? You know, exactly. We, we, we love to see it. I've tried to be selective, especially with Dragon mm. Age. Um, mm. Now with Thedas, of course... Richard- Sorry, I just want to point out, folks, uh, Simona says she wants to be selective. If you could see what the show notes looks like for this section of the episode... Simone has written the thesis. Excuse me, I am dedicated to this podcast, dedicated to the listeners, because the video games, they're, they're their favorite episodes. This is true. You are right. You're correct. Hire us, by the way. In Thedas, uh, of course, as in the real world, regionality applies, so different food stuff and especially different types of meat or fish would be consumed depending on whereabouts on the continent you are. So the first example that I thought of was some of the food consumed primarily in Starkhaven, which for those who are not familiar with it, is an affluent city-state of the Free Marches that's located on the banks of the Venanta River. As you'd expect, a lot of the meals are freshwater fish-based, so anything from carp and trout, which are specifically mentioned, which is strange because also Thedas always seem to get so their own sort of fantastical animals. But when it comes to fish, no, it's carp and trout. They're not changing. They don't have any weird scales or anything. And one of the most <laughs> popular recipes is what is essentially a fish pie, which is, however, topped with whole deep fried small fish. And now like the first sort of immediate parallel with real world recipes that I could think of is the Cornish Stargazy pie. That is essentially like a shortcut pastry fish pie mm. with a load of just whole fish at the top of it. In the case of the um, Starkhaven fish pie, the heads are sometimes removed sometimes they aren't but yeah so in terms of what would that rubbish pit look like so you'd have your cooked freshwater fish bones some of the smaller ones even with signs of digestion so that's the thing that you find archaeologically and of course you'd have whole fish from the ones that have gone on the top but also the rest of the carcasses with the heads that have been removed during processing so that's one nice little neat rubbish pit and to get a more meat meal uh, still in the free marches. The one I've picked is jellied pig's feet. Yum, yum. So, which are exactly what you, you think they are. And of course, you know, as the, the pig's feet are boiled, what you'd expect to find in your rubbish pit are cooked pig's feet, which will then will show signs of cooking and boiling specifically, but not charring. Of course, different cooking method. Which makes it interesting in terms of interpreting a Thedas rubbish pit. Because normally, if you've got a pit, with a load of animal feet in particular, it can usually be interpreted as a sign of high production because as when the animals would get skinned, the feet bones would usually travel with the hide. But yeah, except that in the case of the free marches, you also get whole feet that people just ate. So I guess what you really need to watch out for in this case is the taphonomical difference between feet that are sort of, I guess, untransformed by any sort of 
cooking and the ones that have been cooked. I can almost hear laughter in the background. I feel, I feel so sad. I mean, you're being very thorough and we love that. Ah. But I, I will say there are, you can actually see the difference between, you know, more boiled foods than straight up cooked. And obviously some bones you'll see the charring but not every bone gets that kind of direct heat so fun fun thing you can do is do some scanning electron microscopy which is something i've done in the past to look at uh cooked fish specifically cooked fish there are ways they're very very small but the the work is done for that shout out to i believe rebecca nicholson who is kind of the main person who's done work on that. Yeah, so I've got two more examples for Thedas. Well, <laughs> 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 it's just across the sea, so we thought we'd move from the free marches to Ferelden, okay, where we got more fish, because I like you that much, because I found a traditional alamari recipe. And again, for those who are not familiar with the alamari, they're one of the native <laughs> Ferelden populations. And that is pickle crone. Now, I've not heard Ooh. of this fish before, so I'm not sure whether it's made up or whether it's an actual fish. <laughs> but I'm guessing it's a freshwater species, as this tribe usually resides by the Hafta River. The heads are removed when prepared, and of course, the fish is pickled. So what you'd expect to find is the whole fish carcass minus the head at a construction site, and the heads at a production site. Although, given that the Alamari live in small hunter-gatherer groups, it's very likely that all fish would be prepared for their own consumption, so both would be found within the settlement boundaries. And that's for Elden. So the funny thing is that if you look up prone fish, what you get is because the Norwegian currency is krona, it comes up as that, and there's loads of stories of, of whether or not the inflation in currency is affecting Norwegian fishermen. So... Sorry, in my, in, my, in my head, I was picturing like a, a jar of pickled Norwegian currency. I mean, you know what? As, as someone who's also part Norwegian, we love the pickle thing. So, yeah, probably. But um, to finish off with Thedas, I've, I've, got, I've got a good one. Got a good one that will make for definitely, hands down, the most interesting rubbish pit. As far as as interesting as rubbish pits go. Here we go. The most extravagant recipe I could find is unsurprisingly Orlesian, the large and powerful empire located west of Ferelden, who likes to invade Ferelden a lot. Fantasy France! <laughs> the dish is called Mad Bernard's Gift of Flesh. <laughs> and it was conceived with Mad Emperor Revy in mind. So it was an, an elaboration of the already popular nesting roast, so when multiple animals were stuffed within each other usually game fowl. Now, for the Mad Bernard's gift of flesh, that would consist of a full wyvern stuffed by a gurn, a horse, a halla, antler and all, swan, duck and quail at the very centre of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the birds were deboned, except for the legs. So I guess that's what we would find in the rubbish pit. I guess what... Or what remains of the feasting, but it looks like the other animals were roasted whole. So we'd expect to find the skulls and lamp and all in your rubbish pit. Everyone, Matt Bernard's gift of flesh. Which I believe is based on actual medieval 
wild dishes, which I believe I've seen. I can't remember the name of, but if you watch Tasting History on YouTube, he does some great videos on historical recipes. And I believe he's done like a, a cockatrice, which is kind of similar kind of turducken type thing. Live your extra life, medieval people. And as, as we live our extra life, I think we'll take a break and we'll be back with not our case studies, because this is an episode of case studies, but some more video game food. Something, something, something. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back with our final part of the episode. Normally it would be case studies, but we're just going to continue talking about video games because this whole episode has been an excuse to talk about video games. Let's be real. Simona, do you have any final thoughts about Skyrim and the Elder Scrolls? Because you spent a lot of time talking about Feralden. I was selective. Yeah, that's... You were selective. (laughs) You still ran out of time. You you never run out of time for learning. (laughs) Anyway, Elder Scrolls, I guess we'll make this super quick, also because I I care about Dragon Age more. Fight me. Now, I do own a copy of the the official cookbook of the Elder Scrolls, although a lot of the recipes are mainly centred around Skyrim, which is, of course, a northern province uh, of Tamriel. And therefore, it it comes as no surprise that many of the dishes are actually elaborations of popular northern European dishes. So, much like in Thedas, you see differences between inland and coastal locations. So, for example, around more coastal areas, such as Solitude and Winterhold, you find a higher amount of fish-based recipes. So, like, one of the more popular ones is coastal clam chowder, which is exactly what you'd expect. So, again, rubbish pit in Solitude, expect clams, oysters, mud crabs, and also a variety of fish. In terms of like the more sort of land meat alternatives, I mean, the ones that are found, they are very similar to real world versions, if you will. It's just, you know, like juniper lamb chops, which uh, are particularly common in the southwest of Skyrim, as juniper grows abundantly over there. And now in the more the smaller and more remote villages and hunting camps where like no food goes to waste, one of the popular recipes is braised rib stew with farro, so barley essentially, with short ribs and a variety of vegetables stewed together, which is pretty much a staple food around those areas. So these are sort of like some of the examples that I could find where there's any actual sort of potential zoo archaeological material, because a lot of the recipes do tend to be like a lot of 
soups and stews that are mainly vegetable based or involve a lot of mincemeat, which you're not going to find in the archaeological record. And of course, sweet rolls. Not forget the sweet rolls, but also not very zoarchaeological. Can I can I say it, please? Oh, girl. With a due sense of exhaustion and dread. Do it. Let me guess. Somebody stole your sweet roll? That's actually pretty good. That's pretty on point. <laughs> Are you that voice actor? That no, one I voice? Just, like, <laughs> one voice. Like, I got everything. Disrespect the law, you disrespect me. My cousin's out fighting dragons, and what do I get? God God do me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know who you are. Hell Sifis. <laughs> they say hell can go hit by a dragon. One of those horrors comes here. We'll be ready. Oh, oh, what's the other one? Have you seen the Red Guard? They've got curved swords. swords. Curved swords. swords. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're so good. Great so game. Good. One voice actor for dozens of soldiers. We love to see oh. it. Heard about you and your honeyed words. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, I love it. Sorry. God, I, God might get nervous, woman coming at him with her weapon drawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, jeez. Oh, Sorry. Sorry, Simona. Uh, do you have any favorite lines from Skyrim? Do you have any guard, favorite guard lines? <laughs> <laughs> so you can cast a few spells am i supposed to be impressed i've not played that in ages i got the remastered version of ps4 and then just forgot about watch watch your hands sneaky thief is <laughs> <laughs> this riding you at all oh. Oh. no, no lolly gagging <laughs> Oh, no, no lolly game. game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Skyrim's so good for that. Great oh. game. <laughs> Great game. Have you been to the Cloud District? No, I don't think so. Oh, whatever Nazim says. Sorry. I tell him every time. I'm sorry. I have derailed this entirely. I will slink back to my cave. Speaking of, actually, happy almost 10th birthday, Skyrim. Happy 25th uh, edition anniversary, <laughs> Skyrim. <laughs> It's almost as bad as GTA 5 at this point. <laughs> hey, listen, speaking archaeologically, we will be finding many, many copies of Skyrim in the future, let's be real. Yeah, but you know, like, there's so many of them that you wouldn't go as a small find or anything. It'd just be a bulk find, just put in with the bulk. <laughs> yeah, it'll only count as a different th- kind of, like, set if it's more than 25 meters apart from the next Skyrim copy. <laughs> Or if you find a concentration of more than 10 Skyrim copies in the same feature. <laughs> Do you know what? A really, really interesting side would be like, could you excavate someone's Steam library? You know, that that would be interesting. But that is for another episode of possibly another show. So, um, yeah. what were, What's this show about games again, I think? Disrespect the law and you disrespect me. <laughs> Just wanted to bring that one out. I definitely don't have a list of Skyrim guard dialogue up. <laughs> Is it all the Watch same the skies traveler. I mean, <laughs> to work. There, there is literally like three voice actors who play all the guards for the most part. So I used to be an adventurer like you, and then I took an arrow to the knee. I said it. The line.
I do find it so confusing when like I encounter the same voice actor across sort of different games and that. Yeah, you know, Fenris is just every single Imperial soldier. Well, that. And, uh, also, I found out that Trainer in Mass Effect 3 is my Inquisitor. Yeah, same. I love that. She's great. I just looked at how long we've been spending doing guard impressions. We, we, we. Oh, to be fair, we being me and Tristan. (laughs) Anyway, okay, last part. We can get this train back on its tracks. Dine and dash, actually, so we'll go through this fast. This is a part of the video game foods where you just kind of eat it. So pretty easy to talk about, if we're going to be honest. Food that drops from enemies, usually animals. So let's say Minecraft. If you kill an animal or a zombie NPC, they'll just drop meat of some kind. You can cook it or you can not cook it, although it makes it kind of sick, which is yummy. And this is something we actually kind of already talked about with The Witcher, because you do get dro- you do get raw meat and you can actually just eat the raw meat. It's fine. I mean, you're, you're a witcher. Your immune system can take it. My man's drinking like 30 different potions left and right. He can eat some raw meat. Yeah, just live your extra life, Geralt. This is actually, even though this is probably the simplest one to like talk about in terms of it being a trope, it's also probably the one you have the most zooarchaeological parallels. Because if we're talking about, say, killing an animal in a video game and meat dropping, that's basically your simple kind of hunting camps. Uh, Lewis Binford is kind of the guy, love him or hate him, or feel very indifferent towards him like I do. He kind of wrote, literally wrote the book actually, on this kind of cooking, cut marks, taphonomy type stuff. And he's kind of singled out those particular taphonomic characteristics that you associate with the sort of snacking consumption that's done at hunting camps. You're not really doing more formal eating. You're kind of just, you're literally eating on the go. And of course, some hunting camps are also processing camps. So you'll have that in the rubbish pits. So you would assume something like that would be in the archaeology of Minecraft, which is a wild thing to say out loud. And I guess the thing related to that is, you know, sometimes you're eating animals and there are some games... Where you can eat other people. No judgment, but... Some judgment. Some judgment. <laughs> I mean, to, to, to transition into the game we're about to talk about, I guess you do get bad karma in most Fallout games that have the karma system when you become a cannibal, which is a perk. Uh, if you haven't played Fallout, basically perk system is kind of your level up sort of skills you can pick up. And... One of them is a cannibal perk, which is very self-explanatory. You're able to gain health by eating the bodies of your fallen enemies. And one of the things that I always think about, I haven't done it because I don't normally go for the cannibal perk, is in New Vegas, you get an achievement called Meat of Champions for eating the leaders of each of the main factions in the game. That's the thing. That's wild. It's it's also a wild and great game because it's the only game that I can think of except the more recent Outer worlds one of the the endings can just be you become an anarchist and you set up an anarchist place (laughs) it rules i never finished that game (sighs) 
It was just funny, man. I'm still playing it. Please don't spoil it. Wait, Outer Worlds or, or New Vegas? Because I hate to break it to you, New Vegas. Outer Worlds. Like, just don't don't spoil Outer Worlds. For oh, me, no, 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 I won't. It's a, but it is very explicitly anti-capitalist anarchist game, isn't it? Which I like. I liked Outer Worlds. found it very similar to Fallout in a good way. It's the, it is the people, uh, if you don't know, the people who developed Outer Worlds are the people who did New Vegas, which is why I was very hyped for it. And I have my issues with the game, but it's pretty fun. And I'm actually thinking about getting the DLCs. Anyway, cannibalism, archaeologically speaking, not video game speaking, is actually kind of tricky, believe it or not. You think, oh, I found cut marks on this human remain. This must be proof of cannibalism. But that is not how the world works because there are many different cultures specifically looking at the deep past the prehistoric cultures where not necessarily cannibalism but they had different kind of funerary traditions the ones that i'm thinking about of course because all i can think about are the things associated with my phd is in the later prehistoric in scotland we have many 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 examples of funerary traditions that included manual excarnation which means they would manually disarticulate the body and deflesh it and for us that may seem very different very strange but you know back then that was a particular form of a very intimate familial form of funerary tradition so you can't necessarily again based on what you're looking at because obviously if you look at something a bit more historical you might be able to kind of hedge your bets on cannibalism but for the most part you can't necessarily just go right to it can you yeah i guess again context is is everything so if you find i guess uh, human remains with cut marks from a 17th century context in england yeah (laughs) yeah you probably got it Yeah, but of course, you know, like other cultures, you know, there's a variety of different funerary traditions, as you specified, does include some sort of different extents of dismemberment and things that weren't necessarily linked to cannibalism, even though it might have included ritualistic cannibalism. Of course, yeah, that's also uh, something that occurs in other cultures and later ones and more modern ones as well. Not only can you not necessarily just assume it's cannibalism, but you also can't necessarily say that it is a bad thing. Unless you're playing Fallout, then you get bad karma when you do it. But other than that, there's a difference in culture in terms of whether or not... Because, like I said, is uh, talking from what I know from the deep past, for later prehistoric peoples, this is as normal as us going to bury our loved ones when they pass away. It's just exactly what they did yeah, like especially with excarnation is a thing like uh, as an archaeologist, you cannot judge past cultures by your modern standards. Maybe it's because I worked with it so much. But I'm like, that's actually kind of cool. I mean, I still when I die, I still want to be cremated, put in a Folgers coffee tin and then slingshot into the air for the giant slingshot while the flying theme from E.T. plays, you know, the music that plays when they go off in the, the bike. That's what I want to play. And I know you're laughing, but this is clearly something I've thought about for a very long time. And I've kind of internalized it. So this has gone from food in video games to Skyrim quotes to your will and testament. I mean, you know, might as well cover all my bases, right? No, it's it's on the internet now. So, you know, it'll have to be honored. Yeah, it's it's binding now. Yeah, it's out there. 
since we are actually talking about Fallout, though, we're talking about a lot of things, but we're talking about Fallout. I kind of wanted to end this episode by just kind of talking about how, you know, we are talking about these hypothetical zoarchality things. But at the end of the day, because it's video games and video games have video game logic, there is this kind of idea of preservation that obviously does not exist in the archaeological record, except for some instances. Because obviously a lot of what we've been saying for this episode has been, oh yeah, it'll just be a bunch of random rubbish in the archaeological record. But there are some weirdly well-preserved food that we have come across. And one of them is obviously, I think a lot of people know it, it's called Irish bog butter. I've not had the pleasure. Oh. We all all love bog butter all over this land. We all love bog butter. Do you know, it's also really weird that like, obviously the bog is also a euphemism for toilet, which also is really, really weird. Yeah. Because the bog roll is toilet roll. Yeah, I know what bog roll is. I've lived here long enough. Ahem, I, our listeners may not know that. And that's why I'm trying to explain to our listeners, Alex. Our listeners may also not know about the existence of squirrels, but we can't help that. <laughs> oh, gosh. You will never live it down. I know. Sorry. Sorry, please tell us about the spreadable bog butter. I mean, there's not much to say other than that it's a bunch of butter that was well-preserved because bogs preserve everything. Uh, it was excavated, uh, I think, a couple of years ago now, and you can see it on display. And long story short, I want to eat it. Ugh. Just, I'm going to do it. You can't, you can't stop me. I mean, the museum security might. <laughs> Yeah, well, they could try. But what I like is that we have the Irish bog butter, but we also have the Herculaneum loaf, which is a carbonized loaf of bread that was found at the site of Herculaneum, which is one of the sites uh, similar to Pompeii that was taken over by a bunch of volcanic lava. We got all that fun stuff that's preserved. Wait, you know wait, wait, the wait. deal. Is Alex talking about Roman archaeology and not me? <gasps> ha! Well, I'm only talking about it because I want to say that I'm going to take a slice of the Herculaneum loaf and I'm going to slather it in the Irish bog butter and then I'm going to probably explode. <laughs> it's science! That's what we're going to do for our very last episode when we finally decide to rid the world of this curse that is our podcast. On the last episode, I'm going to eat the, the Irish bog butter with the Her- Herculaneum loaf and we'll see what happens. Yeah, you can do that on, like, on live stream. <laughs> Please don't do that. Uh, well, you know what? Actually, if you want, <laughs> if you want me to do that, let us know in the <laughs> comments. You can message us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. You can find us on Facebook also at Archeo Animals. We are on the Archaeology Podcast Network. Tell your friends about us. Like, subscribe. Let us know in your reviews whether or not you want me to eat this Irish bog butter, her, her Herculaneum loaf toast. And um, do you have anything else you want to say, Simona, before we end this episode? I disassociate myself from this podcast. <laughs> we'll see you next time, folks. I am going to eat it. You can't stop me. Thank you for listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. Ooh, 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 ooh.
This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Laura Johnson. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.